New Zealand's clean green image masks the fact that there are thousands of places around the country contaminated by former agricultural and industrial sites. The Ministry for the Environment says 1,500 locations alone are considered to be of high risk to human health. And yet the present programme to clean them up has so little momentum that it's possible contaminated sites will be a potential health hazard to the next six generations of New Zealanders. Penny Mackay investigates. It's an incongruous day to come and see the burned and rusting corpse of the Pātea freezing works. Warm and blue sky sunny, southern Taranaki is looking its bright green best. Off State Highway 3 and down a short road, lined by a few houses on one side and the Pātea River on the other, lies the ugly hulk of the once thriving freezing works operation. For 99 years, the fortunes of the meatworks at Pātea waxed and waned with the fortunes of the country's meat industry, closing and reopening several times. Its heyday began in the 1930s, but 50 years later, with the national overcapacity of meat processing, the freezing works closed its doors for good in 1982. It's languished ever since, its empty hulk dominating the township of Pātea. And then on February the 6th this year, fire engulfed the ruin, releasing asbestos into the atmosphere. I've come to the site of the derelict freezing works to meet Pat Fritzell, assistant fire commander of the western region who took charge of battling the Waitangi Day blaze. Pat, is this a, a dangerous area for us to be walking through now? Oh no, no, the site's been uh, covered with a, a PVA type glue um, and it's to keep the dust down. When you first got the call, what was going through your mind as you came down here? Were you aware of asbestos? Oh absolutely um, I, I got a page at New Plymouth and um, when I got in the car and heard the radio messages from the Partier crews that have arrived, uh, my first message to them was full protective clothing and breathing apparatus the close houses were being evacuated at that time um, so we made a decision we'll go for a, a drive around the parterre and see where the, where the smoke was and, and whether we needed to evacuate people. We were just all out here watching and then all of a sudden there was the black smoke coming up. Just 500 metres from the former meatworks across the Pātea River, the occupants of 4 Norfolk Street woke at midnight to the overpowering smell of smoke. For a while, Harriet Ray stood outside with her husband Spencer and their family, taking in the spectacle. About three or four lots of police come along and said for us all, when are we going to move out? And that was their concern because we all knew that it was to do with asbestos as well. The last lot come and he said, oh look, I think you guys better evacuate. And I said to Dad, oh golly, I don't want to go because of our homes and, and our neighbours' homes. But then we finally ended up going. Returning next morning, the Ray family dismissed public health advice that they remain behind closed doors and windows. Asbestos is a danger only when it's disturbed and its tiny fibres become airborne. Long-term exposure to asbestos causes asbestosis, scarring of the lungs, eventually stopping them functioning, and lung cancer. Spencer Ray says he wasn't concerned about the airborne asbestos and the smell of smoke in the house was so overwhelming they couldn't bear to be shut in with it. Oh, the smell got into the clothes and the carpets, all the plastic burning. Plastic, 
big blocks of cork insulation for freezing, yeah. You don't feel resentful at all that something like this was allowed to happen? Well, I, I do. I think that was left too long. We all knew, us that worked there knew that there was a time bomb with the asbestos. What would you like them to do now? Well, it's been in the paper that they've got to clean it up, get rid of it. I hope they go through with it yeah. and do that. Because nobody knows, I suppose, how long that BBC covering will last. Back at the meatworks, I asked Assistant Fire Commander Fritz Sell if he was at all annoyed that asbestos had remained untouched in the buildings for more than 25 years. We certainly knew about it and, and we've got risk plans to cover those sorts of things if something does go wrong here. I guess it's been, you know, for the, for the people that own it, you know, what do they do with it, how do they clean it up? And I guess that's been ongoing for, for years and years. So. Do you have any other places like that in Taranaki that you've identified that you have to have a risk management plan for? Certainly, yeah, like in Partia, we've still got the, the old hospital that's been empty for a while. That's, a, that's obviously a concern. Why is that a concern? Oh, it, it's a, a reasonably large-sized premise, uh, asbestos again, and, and it's been empty for years. And would it be the same situation if the hospital was to go up? Would it again be uh, people being evacuated, people being made to stay behind closed doors and windows? Oh, absolutely, yep. yep. Ironically, the fire erupted just as a $106,000 assessment of the levels of asbestos and toxic chemicals on the site had finally lurched into action as the first step to an eventual clean-up. But the path to that clean-up and to other clean-ups around the country promises to be long and filled with complexities. Use and disposal of highly toxic chemicals over several generations has left us with a legacy that isn't going away. Jeanette Fitzsimons, the co-leader of the Greens, says the contaminating products remain silent and insidious in the environment. For more than a century, New Zealand, like many other countries, embraced a range of increasingly effective and toxic chemicals and products. Parasites in your sheep and cattle? Just dip them in DDT and arsenic. Your valuable log timber rotting? Try the fungicide pentachlorophenol, PCP for short. Need cheap, effective insulation? Construction materials, paints and plastics. How about asbestos? chemical waste, just bury it, dump it in the nearby stream, it'll be carried out to sea. Few thought of the effects on the land and waterways, few thought of the effects on human health. Jeanette Fitzsimons says it means the country has been bequeathed a toxic time bomb. You don't get sick as soon as you are exposed to an organic chlorine or a heavy metal. They accumulate in the body over a long term. They initiate cancers or birth defects which take many years to develop and then when they do develop they're just about impossible to treat. So many people in New Zealand will have been exposed to chemicals and haven't yet felt the health effects of them but that will come later. Some parents whose children attend a polluted Auckland kindergarten are concerned they may have been exposed Lead to... Lead is bad enough and benzopyrene is even worse in some ways. Contamination problem at some Auckland childcare centres may be more extensive than first thought. The chairperson of Ferndale Kindergarten, Colin McMurray, says the possibility their children have been exposed to arsenic is worrying 
especially says the council is concerned about the health effects for the children. Two years ago, the soil in an Auckland kindergarten was found to have lead and arsenic levels seven and eight times the limit considered safe. It was part of a city-wide council investigation that took in schools, preschools and a creche, sited on or near land once used for horticulture or light industry, or with topsoil trucked in from a contaminated source. During the height of the preschool contamination scare, the Auckland Council made a plea for former Gasworks contractors to contact it if they could remember where Gasworks waste, now known to be highly poisonous, might have been laid as fill between the 1940s and 1970s. It's an indication of how difficult it is sometimes to trace where polluted sites might be. So let's look after it, we can win. The jaunty pro-environment tune on the phones of Waikato Regional Council belies the fact that at 258 and counting, the region has more reported contaminated sites than any other place except Auckland. Local and regional councils have the responsibility of identifying polluted sites in their catchment. Robert Brodnax, Waikato Regional Council's Group Manager of Policy and Strategy, says it's an ongoing challenge tracking them down. I'm confident that we have the sites of most risk to the regional community under control, um, but we need to constantly be vigilant, particularly where land use is changing and we're talking about urban growth over agricultural land um, or industrial, old industrial land that's been contaminated by past practices. What is required is an assessment first of what is the scope and scale of the problem in a way that is meaningful? Simon Terry from the lobby group, the Sustainability Council, says it's impossible to tackle the problem effectively because there's so little information. Currently the Ministry of the Environment does not have anything remotely close to adequate figures to document this. Once we know what the size of the problem is, one can then look at how much money would you reasonably spend per annum to address the sites and in what order. We don't have the data to even begin to construct that timetable properly and that's um, a major policy failing. You wouldn't let your dog drink from it, much less children swim in it. If the, the Minister for the Environment, Trevor Mallard, is talking about the Waifetu stream in Lower Hutt, which flows into Wellington Harbour and which he describes as the most polluted stream in the country. To do, then it could be very, very serious. I met him beside the stream, which is having a $6 million clean-up, to answer Simon Terry's accusation that the lack of national information is a major policy failing. I'm not sure what a national database would do until you've actually done the work on a site-by-site -site basis to work out what the issue is uh, with each site. I mean, we could, you know, I haven't got the numbers in my head, but say there are 50,000 sheep dumps, you know, putting 50,000 flags on... On a, on a national map to say there's a sheep dip there doesn't actually mean a lot. So tracing sites of historic contamination presents a major problem. But even when a hazardous site is identified, it's not automatic that it will be made safe. Hi, I'm Penny Mackay from Radio New Zealand. I'm here to see Ross Dunlop. Upstate Highway 3 from Pātea is Hawera, home to the South Taranaki District Council. Given local authorities' responsibility for hazardous sites in their area, I asked the Mayor, Ross Dunlop, why the Pātea Meatworks, after 25 years, was still harbouring hazardous amounts of asbestos. Is money an issue? 
it's a major issue. I mean, to actually clear that site would have been millions and millions of dollars. So it's easy for people to say, you should have cleared the site. But we would have had to impose a, a terrible rate increase on our ratepayers to do that. So why do councils have to pay for the clean-up of contamination and not the polluter? Well, many historic polluters have long disappeared from the radar, into liquidation, offshore, or sold on to become other legally unreachable entities. And of those who do remain, but who polluted before 1991 and the birth of the Resource Management Act, a policy loophole gives them amnesty. When I asked the minister why historic polluters are unable to be made to pay for the damage they caused, he admitted he hadn't known until recently that they couldn't. I, I found out about this issue in the last week or so, um, actually in preparation for doing some, uh, some work with you. It's not been the subject of a report to me uh, previously. I had worked on the assumption that you could go back uh, to... Our previous owners. Currently, the, the, the liability actually sits with current owners rather than the people who did the pollution. Simon Terry of the Sustainability Council says councils are left in an invidious position by the policy of making the current landowner liable for cleaning up. That's recognised as unfair if the landowner wasn't actually responsible for creating that pollution in the first place. In fact, when reporting to Cabinet, the Ministry of the Environment stated, quote, Strict liability on the landowner is inequitable and contrary to natural justice if the current owner has to bear liability for effects they did not cause and which they could not reasonably have been expected to know about. So it's a very uncomfortable position that regional councils are put in and district councils and hence they don't tend to enforce that. So despite the Ministry once calling the liability on current landowners against natural justice, it now says it's a matter of buyer beware and the policy remains unchanged. The Minister concedes it's a bureaucratic snafu. And, and there's a policy question then about whether it's worth now making a, a change, a retrospective change, to put the law back as it was in, in 1991 and have an ability to chase people, or whether we should actually just focus on getting the clean-up done uh, because almost certainly in the majority of these cases, cases like Partia, for example, I have no hope whatsoever of getting money out of the current uh, owners of the site. So uh, doing law changes and trying to go back to, uh, to previous owners, I think you, 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 could, you could spend a lot of time and a lot of money on lawyers and actually make no progress in getting sites cleaned up. And clean-ups, says the Minister, should be a partnership. And the partners will clearly be the current landowner who stands to benefit from having their land cleaned up. Local authorities, regional councils, both of which have some responsibility in the area, and almost certainly central government, who, while there's not the same, almost certainly not the same legal liability sitting in there, I think there is an oversight and a national good uh, reason for getting as many of these sites cleaned up as possible. This is an arrangement where the senior partner, the government, offers just under $3.3 million a year to go halves with local authorities in paying for clean-ups. But even in 2004, the ministry estimated it was a billion-dollar problem. Since 2003, there's been enough money to start the clean-up on only 25 contaminated sites. At this rate, it could be 150 years before New Zealand is finally free from contamination, or at least free enough. The Green Party believes a tax on present-day chemicals would be a start in addressing the vexed question of funding. Jeanette Fitzsimons.
We need to create a fund to clean up toxic sites by levying toxic chemicals today. There are still a lot of toxins being produced. They are useful chemicals for what they do, but they have risks. A small levy on the sale of all toxic materials now would help clean up the past. The government has stumped up $12 million to help clean up the site of the former chemicals factory at Mapua near Nelson and more than $400,000 to begin getting rid of contaminants from the old Tui mine at Te Arawa in Waikato. But Robert Brodnax from Waikato Regional Council says it's the plethora of smaller sites that struggle to attract clean-up funding. Where it's frustrating is at the next level down of sites, the large number of small sites like scrapyards and sheep dip sites and things like that where we'll, we'll never be able to, to realistically get the resources to hunt all of those sites down and make sure they're being adequately managed. And so that is a point of frustration for us. This used to be a bowling club used for a number of decades. We don't think of bowling clubs as being highly contaminated toxic sites. And the thought that all over New Zealand there are people uh, rolling their bowls down the green and then um, rolling a cigarette afterwards or going aside for a sandwich can really be a bit perturbing when you think about it. Further on up State Highway 3 at Stratford, the Taranaki Regional Council's Director of Environment Quality is taking me on a tour of polluted sites that the council is investigating, managing and cleaning up. Green keepers take great pride in looking after their bowling greens and making sure they're immaculate with no weeds and no pests attacking their, their grass. And to do so, they use all sorts of chemicals and have used all sorts of chemicals for decades, such as lead arsenate and DDT, uh, mercuric salts and so on. Back in his office, Gary Bedford tells me there's no cohesive framework with which to investigate potential sites of historic pollution. When the Resource Management Act was being uh, drafted, People were just simply not aware of contaminated sites as a potential issue. Uh, and so there was no mention at all in the Resource Management Act of, of contaminated sites. Um, in the last couple of years that has been addressed, uh, giving regional councils a general obligation to investigate and district councils a general obligation to record information or to hold information. But beyond that, there's uh, basically no framework at all. That general obligation and no time frame means that Northland, Gisborne, Manawatu Wanganui, West Coast and Southland have yet to make a report. Gary Bedford says this reflects the lack of national cohesion on the issue. When we started uh, picking up that this was an issue around New Zealand in 1991, 1992, thereabouts, um, there simply was no framework within which to operate and so each council had to make its own decision as to whether uh, it would proceed or whether it would sit back and wait for some obligation or some framework. Uh, and so each council had to decide uh, its own path. So there is therefore some level of inconsistency across New Zealand. Some councils have focused on identifying the potential problems in their region and getting out and sorting them out. Others have focused on the need to have robust and defensible information systems. Others have basically put it in a too hard basket. Hi, I'm Penny Mackay from Radio New Zealand. I'm here to see Basil Morrison. Thank you. Just take a Basil Morrison is the president of Local Government New Zealand. He says local authorities simply cannot finance the problem out of rates and believes the government has an obligation to put greater resources into the issue because in the past it was the Crown authorising the activity that caused the pollution. The consenting processes in the past uh, generally involve central government, like, for instance, the Tui Mine, and the issue of mining licence, for instance, uh, the Mapua site, 
uh, under the old regime of uh, MAF uh, and accreditation of these sites. So there is a responsibility on central government, in our view, to move more quickly with more resources to rectify these contaminated sites. Waikato Regional Council's Robert Brodnax says given extra environment dollars, his council would be hard-pressed to put them into improving polluted areas when there are other, more pressing environmental issues. Taranaki's Gary Bedford agrees, saying with limited funds, councils have to make judgment calls about how much money to invest in making contaminated areas safe. We have to make choices about what's an appropriate level of expenditure. The ideal world would have enough money for us to clean up every site. At the same time, having said that, you also have to ask the bigger question, would that be the best use of money in New Zealand for environmental benefit? We know air pollution is killing hundreds of people per year. Um, If you had uh, a certain amount of money, should you spend it on cleaning up contaminated sites, which may not actually be killing anyone, or do you spend it on air pollution? Uh, We're not an infinitely wealthy country. We have to make those environmental choices. I put the point to Simon Terry from the Sustainability Council that some council officers feel the risk to New Zealanders' health from contaminated sites is too small to warrant the cost. The reality is that we have such limited data on the environmental effects and the exposures to human health. If you actually go into what is assumed to be the effect on health, you find that the risk assessments are done for a single pollutant usually operating on rats without a direct knowledge of what the impacts on humans are. When you put in place a number of chemicals into a site, synergistic effects are beyond the current assessment methodologies in place. Jeanette Fitzsimons agrees and says contaminating products and toxins reach humans in insidious ways. The way that it migrates into the human food chain and into people is very often through water. So if streams are contaminated because the dumps are near the stream banks and the groundwater flows through, then that's a major source of pollution which will reach people. And of course the place that some of these concentrate most is in human breast milk. So the next generation is exposed as well. Trevor Mallard says people can take comfort that there has been progress on severely contaminated sites like Mapua and the Tui Mine and says he hopes the worst will be cleaned up within 10 years. But Robert Brodnax from Waikato Regional Council says there's yet another impediment to this goal. New Zealand's a small country and so there's also a, an issue around capacity of the expertise in contaminated land management in the country is spread pretty thin. You're looking at maybe 100 people in New Zealand who have the expertise to, to move contaminated sites through the investigation remediation process. Scientists at the Crown Research Institute Hort Research say, however, that they were developing an economical process that showed promise in helping with some of the clean-up issues. White rot fungi exude um, special enzymes, and those enzymes can be used to degrade organic contaminants. The leader of the team developing the technology, Brent Clothier, explains what it is. And we were developing strains of white rot fungi that were hungrier for things like pentachlorophenol, PCP, that was formerly used as a timber treatment chemical. The other part of the project was called phytoremediation. And using plants where heavy metals have got in the soil, things like copper, cadmium, arsenic. And if we can specially select plants, notably poplars and willows, we can look at 
clones of those plants that have an uncanny knack of taking up those metals into the plant themselves. So we're taking the contaminant out of the soil via the plant. We're using the plant as a sweeper, a cleaner, to suck out the contaminant. Dr Clothier says phyto and bioremediation are emerging technologies gaining favour in many countries, but not, it would appear, in New Zealand. The funding we received for our programs um, lasted from 1996 to 2003 um, and uh, there was no funding since then. In the meantime, contaminated sites remain. A group of us got together because we were wondering why uh, our fellows were getting sick. A former Whakatane sawmill worker, Joe Harawira, battled tenaciously for 17 years to have the damage to sawmill workers' health by the timber treatment PCP acknowledged by the government. At that time there, we didn't realise that there was also an environmental issue here. I met Joe Harawira at a cafe in Te Papa, where he'd been speaking at a conference of the Environmental Risk Management Agency. He told me the Bay of Plenty Regional Council has identified 30 contaminated sites around Whakatane that were the dumping grounds of PCP-treated sawdust. He says the toxic byproducts of the PCP are by and large trapped, contained in the soil, but he has other worries. The whole 30 of them have a connection with the Whakatane River. That's my next port of call, is the management of these sites. The authorities have to put into place management plans, and more importantly, they have to put in place monitoring mechanisms from the sites to the river. What are you afraid of if it goes on much longer without... Proper remediation. In 1987, we had that big earthquake down in the East End Bay there. You know, that opened up the whole earth. That is a wake-up call for us. If we don't get it right, then we're going to get our butt kicked again. Back at the Waifetu stream, Trevor Mallard shares the concern about contamination in an earthquake-prone country, describing what could happen to the stream's lead-filled sludge in a good shake. While most of it is pretty well settled on the bottom, a really big earthquake could shake it loose and kill all the fish life in the entire Wellington Harbour. The minister says he's receiving more information about problem sites, but does that mean action will follow? I think in the last year or so, uh, in a number of areas of uh, contamination, especially dikes and PCP, uh, we've made quite a lot of progress. I mean, I've, I've, since I've been minister, had some older reports pulled out, um, been asking some questions about you know, what has happened uh, and as a result of those questions being asked, uh, more has been happening uh, and, um, and, and you know, a lot of that is paper, you know, a lot of it is people pouring over maps and drawing circles and uh, sending people out with cameras to see what's, you know, see what's there now and that's what I've seen my role as being as, as being Minister of the Environment, uh, actually putting um, some pressure on to make some progress. So do you feel confident in your ability to keep the pressure on, that this will become an, you know, a priority for Cabinet, that they well, might put more money in this direction? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly satisfied that we're getting better information now than I was getting six months ago. Others, like South Taranaki District Mayor Ross Dunlop, are seeking a greater sense of urgency. There's a lot of demands on government, and it's a matter of priorities. I mean, are we better to be fixing glue here and, and doing people's hips and those sort of things or, or um, tidying up contaminated sites? So I, I understand that there's a lot of you know, demands on, on the resources of the Crown. 
but probably this needs to be moved up the priority list. That programme was written and presented by Penny Mackay. Technical production was by Nick Shave and Insights executive producer is Sue Ingram.